We have two great conversations of our tradition in our readings this day. The first is an ancient one between Abraham and Yahweh. The great spiritual ancestor of the Judeo-Christian tradition speaks again and again with the God of the covenant who has recently promised to bring recompense for the horrific sins of two cities. We're somewhat amused by Abraham's persistence. It's a remarkable reading. It's meant to amuse us, to get us thinking. The second is a conversation between Jesus and his disciples, where they ask him quite simply to teach them how to pray. But what both conversations reveal to us is a profound teaching about leading a life of faith with our God. And that life is as shocking to us and to the world in some ways as it is liberating in others. Contrary to a common misconception, the great sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is not about homosexuality. According to the prophets, and as they are recalled later in scripture, even by Jesus himself, the cardinal sin of these two cities is their lack of hospitality. And as part of that, their craven violence towards strangers, exhibited in an out-there amorality. This stands in sharp contrast to last week's reading where Abraham welcomes and generously hosts three strangers by the oaks of Mamre. And in doing so, he welcomes God. It also picks up on a thread that runs throughout our scriptures and even through the wider history of the human family. And that thread is a long-standing tension between urban and agrarian communities. Abraham, epitomizing the pastoral and nomadic roots of the ancient Israelites, represented a culture where hospitality and harmony with the land were a necessity and a key part of his identity. It was this identity of hospitality and identification with the strangers in the land that would become a key part of the call to Israel to walk in their identity with their God So key, in fact, that the prophets would repeatedly tell them and call them to it whenever they fell into the easier xenophobias of the human condition. Cities, on the other hand, have forever been inclined to exploit the surrounding country for their resources and have often, as a result, polluted and alienated the well-being of the agricultural peoples and the subsistence farmers who live there. This is a conflict that continues well into the first century when Jesus is often preaching and teaching a countryside people, a countryside people who are marginalized and exploited by the urban temple elites and the Roman occupiers of Jerusalem. For this reason, city dwellers have always been viewed with some suspicion by their rural counterparts. Think of the herdsman Abraham reflecting on the unspeakable inhospitality and the rank immorality of the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And then think of the frequent extreme rhetoric in our day that highlights the American heartland's often dim view of the urbanized coasts. And you start to get the picture. But the deeper piece of the context to Abraham's extended dialogue this day with God is the ancient notion that one bad apple spoils the whole barrel. For the Israelites who hallowed this text and numerous other ancient peoples living in a capricious and frightening universe, it was often thought that having a bad person in the midst of community meant that everyone was in danger of divine retribution. A single sinner could spoil everything, could change the good fortunes of all to bad. Abraham's questions today turn that whole idea on its head and take up this notion in an entirely different way. If God is indeed a God of justice, if Yahweh, the God of gods and bearer of the covenant that is established to remake the human family, if that God is truly righteous, surely he will not condemn the righteous with the unrighteous. Perhaps Abraham suggests having a handful, 20, 10, or even one good apple in the barrel means the whole lot may be saved. Perhaps, as Jesus might say, one bit of good yeast leavens the entire batch of dough. So how far will Abraham go? If there is but one righteous person in Sodom and Gomorrah, will not the God of the universe stay divine retribution? Abraham puts these questions before God is either very brave or very foolish. But the most compelling part of the story is that God bears with him, answers, takes Abraham up in his argument. And that in itself demonstrates something very profound about the life of faith and what it means for us as heirs of Abraham through the promise of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For God has taken Abraham into divine counsel. This radically alters the landscape of human divine interaction forever. Abraham lived in a world where the best way to relate to the gods was through appeasement by offering sacrifice. It was a universe, if you will, of capricious and angry deities who constantly demanded animal and sometimes even human sacrifice. But through the covenant, Abraham is drawn into an entirely new and different relationship with his God, with our God, who is not merely sitting loftily on high, placing demands on the human family. Instead, our God is one who deigns to engage with us in the here and the now, a God who speaks with us, who debates with us even, who converses and communes with God's people. This is the God who will wrestle with Jacob in the wilderness, who will accede to the Israelites' demand for a king, 
reluctantly, but nonetheless succeed. It will stand by David when he messes up royally in every sense of the word. This is the God who will respond to Job out of the whirlwind and send the prophets to renew us. This is the God who will even come among us as one of us, who will offer up divine blood in love to confront and redeem our own worst natures. Abraham's questions about the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah are not merely academic or theological. They are questions of faith, faith that is not built on blind trust, but a kind of testing, probing relationality that seeks truth, that asks why, that wants to know of our creator. God does not brush aside this kind of doubting, wondering faith. Instead, God embraces it, speaks and explains to it, bears with it. This is not a God cloaked in mystery or in the clouds of capricious divine loftiness. This is our God who reveals the intricacies of divine judgment, who is prepared to hang out with us, who bears with us in our confusion and our uncertainty, who shows up at our table and accepts our imperfect hospitality and deems it righteous enough for grace to begin. So with that foundation in mind, we have today's gospel where Christ Jesus emphasizes again to us that we are in God's counsel now. We are in a position to make demands and, yes, expect a response. The life of prayer is not merely pretense to make us feel better or giving up words to an effectively deaf God who lives so far beyond our comprehension that we must mean nothing to him. The life of prayer, rather, Jesus says, is like the relationship of a good parent to a child, even perhaps the relationship of a lover with the beloved. Abraham dares to hold God to a standard of justice. God listens. Jesus dares us to make requests of this same God and expect a response. When we say, thy will be done on earth, like Abraham, we are demanding that God get with the program and be the God we are promised. God of righteousness and justice, of truth, of salvation. A God who keeps covenant and shepherds divine promises. When we ask for our daily bread, it is not offered with a polite please, but a profoundly challenging give me. Give me. For we trust that God does not give God's precious children bad things, but good things. And we have permission to ask for those good things. And Jesus suggests we may even demand them. As imperfect as we are, we have been drawn into God's counsel. We are promised a God 
who will listen. And we are promised a God who will respond to our demands, not necessarily as we expect, but perhaps giving us something more than we can ask or imagine. And this is meant to change our faith life forever, for we are no longer strangers in God's world, nor outsiders. Now we are insiders of God's reign. We are in the know, and so we are part of the drama of salvation, unfolding for all the world. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at oursaviourmv.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.